0: Welcome, everyone, to a special CX Day edition of our podcast. This is CX. I'm Mike Manfredo. And this is Paul Hagen. Hey, Paul. Happy CX Day to you. Happy CX Day. Woohoo! <laughs> it's our um, day. Exactly. Exactly. All, uh, a day for all things CX. Um, and with that, we actually have a little special episode, a uh, great opportunity to Uh, talk to folks that are on the front lines, um, working with and serving customers on a day-to-day basis. And so uh, with that, I thought you might be able to introduce us uh, and our listeners to our uh, special guest today. Yes, I am so so excited to have Heidi Shelton, who's the senior director of UX at Sephora, uh, on the on the show with us today. Heidi, how are you? Hello. Welcome! Thanks for joining us.
1: Hi, Paul. Hi, Mike. I'm so excited to be talking with you, and I'm doing very well today.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to to celebrate CX Day with us. And uh, as yes. Mike said, we we uh, we're excited to have a practitioner. We talk a a lot about customer experience, but nothing like having someone on the front lines to uh, to tell us what it really is like uh, to pivot an organization and, and uh, make it try to make it more customer centric and serve people better. So, um, hey, rather than me doing the disservice of uh, of going through your background, do you want to tell us a little bit of you know who you are and what you do and and how you got to where you are? Uh, how did you how did you get to your the position that you're in now?
1: Absolutely, so my journey has been has uh, been a long one. It's been very interesting. Um, I started out uh, my career as a graphic designer, and it was funny. I think um, I've always been one of those people who, if you take a The left brain, right brain, quiz, I'm I'm 50-50 split down the middle. And uh, so when I was a designer, like I love the creativity, but I felt like I never had the right answer. It was subjective. Uh, So some people would like blue, some people would like green, um, and it drove me crazy. I was like, what's right? So (laughs) I was working at Microsoft, and this was a bit ago. It was actually in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing a graphic, you know, web design for them. And I was working on a platform called the MSN gaming zone, and they were trying to take it from being more of a single player uh, platform to a multiplayer. So we brought in some, uh, some actual users and we had them in a lab, um, using computers and we got to walk around the room and watch their experience and gather data from that. and that was truly the aha moment of my career. Um, it was oh my gosh, I can get data to actually mm. show if we're designing, you know, if it's the right answer, if it's what customers want, if it's what they find easiest and best. So it was really just this moment of um, enlightenment, and uh, and I was hooked. And so from there, um, you know, being that it was the late '90s, it was um, you know there was a, a kind of a decade there of time when UX was just hard to sell. People didn't really mm-hmm. understand it um, they, they definitely undervalued it. And so I spent my time, um, kind of jumping around to different gigs, um, consulting. So kind of, you know, just trying to find anybody who would let me do the work and, and focus on the UX and, and share that kind of, um, that type of thinking with them. So it was startups, it was agencies. Um, I still did some work with larger companies like Microsoft. Um, but it was really just me kind of exploring the field and doing the work where I could, so then uh, we get to about 2008, 2009, and I'm feeling like, okay, you know, I've made some headway. I feel like, uh, you know, my calling is now understood. I'd been working with a startup that I was really psyched about and had actually been spending all my time with them. And uh, 2009, the economy hit that little dip <laughs> and uh, they, they ran out of money. And, you know, like a lot of companies were having happen at that point. So I just needed a job. Uh, I decided I was living in Portland at the time. I decided I wanted to get back to Seattle where my roots and my network were. And so in order to do that, I took a six month contract at Nordstrom. So it was, uh, it was one of those things, you know, I've been working with startups. I've been working with agencies, just kind of doing my thing. And I thought moving back into a corporate environment, um, was, it was going to be just really not what I was looking for, but something I could do for six months. And when I got there, I realized that Nordstrom was very much in the nascent stages of really understanding e-commerce. Um, they had a website, but they hadn't invested a whole lot into it. And they certainly didn't really know what UX design could do for them. Um, I was one person in a large company and uh, you know, trying to make headway. Uh, but what I realized was this is actually an amazing opportunity to stick around with a company that is, you know, first and foremost known for their customer service, uh, and really to establish a UX discipline. So I spent the the following six years doing that. Um, absolutely amazing experience. We, uh, you know, at that time it was like 2010, 2011, Nordstrom realized, wow, we really do need to, uh, make an investment in e-commerce and get a little bit more serious about this because Amazon is literally down the street and, uh, they're going to, they're going to take some business from us if we're not careful. So I got to be part of building out the e-commerce function there and really expanding what user experience meant. So it started out with, um, you know, just the website, uh, optimizing the website. Site, working on some design projects there. Then we brought our apps in-house. They had been uh, they'd been designed by agencies, and we realized that wasn't really getting the job done in terms of you know them understanding our mind share around our customers and also creating a consistent experience. So we we brought the apps in. Uh, we had my team working on apps and website. And then we started to realize, you know, there's a lot more to this. Um, You know, our customer doesn't think of us as Nordstrom Digital or Nordstrom Ecom and and Nordstrom, you know, in its other capacity, which obviously... Funny how that works, huh? Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. You know, they've got brick and mortar stores all over the place. Um, so, So we started to expand our thinking. One of the first things we did was we started to look at the internal tools that employees were using to interact with customers and that meant a few different things you know for um, on the digital side it was how employees were managing content and and populating engaging marketing experiences Um, those tools were terrible they'd been built in-house and nobody had ever taken a look at uh, what that what that user experience was so we started you know thinking about that we started thinking about our pos systems in the store um, and our crm uh, platform in the store as well so you know, thinking about these employees whose number one job is to be interacting, engaging uh, customers, you know, at the POS while they're trying, they're making a sale. Um, and we're making it hard for them by, by giving them tools that have not been deliberately designed. So so that's when things got really interesting. Um, and, you know, at the, around the same time, everybody was tossing around the word omnichannels, as a buzzword. And uh, so I had a strategist on my team and I gave her the project of really, you know, we had all these different groups around Nordstrom saying on the channel, let's get everybody talking to each other and let's really determine what it means for the company. Um, and what we realized is, you know, so it's, it's all these different touch points. It's not, um, just the app. It's not just the website and it's not just the store, you know, that's the old fashioned way of thinking of things. But in reality, our shopper is she wants to shop with us wherever and whenever she wants. And she's going from touch point to touch point. She might start her search on the bus in the morning, looking at the, uh, the app or the website on her phone. And then later that afternoon, uh, you know, she's at work, she's on her machine and she's putting more stuff in her cart, but then she waits until the evening, uh, to, to actually purchase, or she might go into the store to make that purchase. So it really became, um, a broader scope of designing experiences, which was awesome. So that was Nordstrom. Um, we did a lot of work there really kind of defining, we we, um, embarked on a massive, uh, customer experience map that mapped out every touch point between Nordstrom and customer um, and started to look at, you know, where were the themes, uh, where we could optimize. Ultimately, we ended up kind of structuring our product management plan around uh, those themes. And it just, it opened up a whole new level of strategy for the company, which was amazing. So after that, um, I I had had, um, you know, six years at Nordstrom. It had been an amazing experience, but I just felt like I was ready for a change and I was ready for more sunshine. I've lived in the Northwest my whole life. Uh, And so I went to L.A., I started doing some consulting there, and then I ended up at The Honest Company for a bit. Uh, I was there for a year. That was really interesting, too, working with them to kind of figure out, you know, they started as a subscription-based model, but um, expanding into the future, what might that mean as they had product in stores and, uh, you know, they had an app. So also looking at that overall experience um, that customers might have with the brand. Um, And then the ultimate, I, I got back into retail. Uh, so L.A. was awesome, but I found an opportunity at Sephora, and that's where I am today, uh, doing much the same thing, looking at all the various touch points. And so the way that that's evolved is really, you know, it used to be called UX design or product design or even customer experience. Um, the way I'm looking at it now is something that I call experience design and optimization. So... It's looking at experiences, which you can also call touch points, all across the scope of of a brand and its customers, including the employee interactions, um, and really figuring out how you can make those interactions as smooth and seamless and feel as cohesive as possible um, across the spectrum. And then my favorite letter in this new experience design and optimization piece is the O. I think the other piece that I've seen uh, in my in my uh, different roles is people get really excited about launching new features. And so it tends to be, okay, we've got this big project. We're going to launch this big set of functionality this year. Yay. We get it out the door, we ship the MVP. And then, you know, another shiny object comes along and you go chase that one, different set of features, different, you know, it may touch what you just released. It may not, but very rarely are people going back to actually optimize what they've built. Um, and so that's, mm. that's another build piece. Build
0: it and leave it exactly. and, uh, and hope for the best.
1: Exactly, yeah, and, and chase the new next thing. Um, so what I'm doing is really like, just by you know, renaming my team, um, I'm kind of forcing the acknowledgement that we don't just design, we actually also optimize. We go back and we look at the things that we've built and we try to make them better um, to make the whole, the whole journey feel uh, like one seamless experience.
0: Well, and that's you know what's so interesting too. I mean, that was a, thanks for thanks for the background on that journey and and what a what a journey it was. But you know, you've you've intentionally also changed almost the the you know UX clearly has a connotation for what it is, and you've changed that around and said no, what we don't do is user experience design. We do uh, experience do- design more broadly and and the optimization on the on the backside of that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's, you know, you really, you think about one of the things that I did love about Nordstrom and that they kind of instilled in me is they valued the the folks who are interfacing with customers first and foremost. They They actually, I don't know mm. if they do it anymore, but they had internally what they called the inverted pyramid. So if you think about Uh, a normal um, organizational map. You know, there's the big guy at the top who uh, is kind of, you know, towering over (laughs) the rest of the, you know, the folks in the organization. And as you get lower on the barrier, there are more people. What Nordstrom did was they turned that on its head. On its head, so it was uh, the supporting team. You know, the presidents uh, were at the bottom of the pyramid, and what they called it was supporting the Fabulous. team that reported to them. So all of us, you know, it was ingrained in all of us that we were actually supporting our teams as leaders. Um, with the thought being that the higher up in the pyramid they were, the closer they were to customers, and we wanted to make sure that they had what they needed to uh, to close the deal, to have great, you know, interactions with their customers and form those relationships. Uh, so when you think about, you know, how, how to take that one step further and really define what is the employee's experience, you know, not only in how they engage with customers, but also how they engage at work. You know, are we supporting them to do the best thing for the customer or, you know, are we are we making it hard by giving them tools that don't work? Are we uh, you know, making them work too long of hours even? You know, so it kind of gets into the overall um, organizational design. You know, what's the culture that you're establishing to make sure the customers feel uh, taken care of because the employees are psyched to be working for you and uh, and imparting your brand, if you will, uh, through those through those interactions.
0: Gosh, when you talked about the uh, in, inverted pyramid, I thought to myself, what a culture change that is! Um, <laughs> you know, and and in any organization that's trying to become customer centric, having their, you know, thinking about how do how would how would they invert that pyramid? What, what you know? Can you give our audience maybe some 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 thoughts around what the that leadership did? Um, you know, a, a, sort of on a tangible basis to kind of demonstrate and role model. You know, being at the service of the the people who are actually interacting with with customers.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think a lot of it was, um, it, you know, it just it's hard to put your finger on. It was just it was in the culture. I think even by by token mm-hmm. of, um, and this was a hard one for me. You know, I'd managed teams before, and and when I became a manager at Armstrong, the uh, the verbatim was, you know, I support my team rather than managing, leading, directing um and that was something that was Mm -hmm. just inherent like you know i support this team i support you know these folks um and and so yeah yeah it's just you know it's a factor in the culture when you're hearing it every day day in and day out um and it i think by you know by making that common terminology it just it kind of um it's almost a forcing function it's like okay well what does it mean to support someone well it means you're having regular one-on-ones with them to check in and make sure that you know they have what they need to do their jobs and they feel challenged they're they feel like they're growing in their career um and and also at the end of the day they have what they need to do their job and and that's something that you know it's yeah. it's interesting in all the place different places that i've worked um I you know in conversations I've had I think that sometimes people can undervalue um, the you know just taking care of their employees to make sure that they yep. can do their jobs. Do they have the education? Do they have the right software? Um, you know, it's these things that yeah.
0: It's a, you know that's that's interesting because you as you were as you were going through your st- story and you know your pivot to to CX, you started talking about employees and the tools that they use, the CRM platform. Um, the intentional design of those tools in there you know and you know I think we've heard um, I, well, I've been hearing probably for the last year that you know the 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 rising importance of employee experience um, i saw something written recently as ex the new CX um, you know as employee experience the new Customer experience. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think? Uh, do you think companies need to take a step back and and even in your the XDO the experience design and optimization um, pointing that towards employees first before they can actually go out and take Absolutely. care of customers.
1: I think it's something that, it, it's a mandate at this point. And, you know, with the, with the job market being yeah. as competitive as it is, and especially, you know, the Bay Area, it's, it's kind of bonkers, I've found. <laughs> um, you know, the demand for great talent is so high and there, and people... Mm. You know, if they're not being treated well, and if they're not growing in their careers, there's you know there's not the hesitation that there used to be to bounce after a year, after even you know six months. People are um, they're able to choose something that is a better fit for them. And so I think you know companies they need to start realizing. Um, you know I think some of them have for sure to be fair, but I think that it has to be a mandate to make sure that your company is an awesome, attractive place for employees to be and thrive. Uh, not only because you want to keep them, but, but also it's, you know, it's the spirit that comes through to the customer. Um, you know, when you have happy employees, it's like, you know, they always say, if you want to, um sound like pleasant on the phone make sure you're smiling while you're talking <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: and if you're not smiling yeah. you've got a bad day your boss doesn't understand yeah. you you've got no tools to support you it's exactly. uh, hard to t- hard to smile that way
1: you're not necessarily showing up in your most positive way yeah for sure so so yeah i absolutely yeah. think it's important and something that that companies really need to be paying attention to and activating on
0: yeah fantastic so Heidi, talk about some of the tips and tricks and tools that you've you've found most successful over you know over the journey, and you know you think about applying them either to the employee experiences you talked about, or you know this uh, this larger experience design and optimization towards customers or, uh, or or employees. What what's worked best for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you know it, it sounds really rudimentary, but uh, communication and relationship building has been. Mm-hmm the biggest factor in being able to make progress in this area. And and here's why. You know, so Nordstrom or Sephora, either of those two, um, uh, went through, you know, these transformations where they started to think about the customer journey as Omnichannel. But uh, you know, I was there for the one at Nordstrom and and the one at Sephora happened just before I, I arrived. Um and logistically speaking, you know, it was fine and good, we, you know, for a good year or so at Nordstrom, like, yes, we need to think about the customer journey this way. Well, meanwhile, we had teams, we had a store team and we had a digital team and they didn't even sit in the same building.
0: It oh my was, gosh.
1: Yeah. It was like a 20 minute walk in between. Wow. So uh, the I think, you know, for a company that's thinking about embarking on, okay, how do we really get serious about this, um, you know, experience design and, and optimization piece and really looking at all of the touch points with our customers and, and our employees, a big part of it is unifying your company to work as one team uh, and to have a shared goal. And that can be hard. I mean, it seems like, you know, why wouldn't people be excited about that? Well, you know, there are things in retail um, you know, there are people in store who are making their income through commission based on the sales. So they're not super psyched actually. If somebody comes into the store and you know, gets all the info from them and then goes home and buys the product on the app and they lose out on that commission. Mm. Um, there That's are, huge. That's huge yeah, right there. Yeah, totally. I mean, just think about that. Like, why would that person be excited about this omni-channel, you know, vision that everybody is touting when it affects her bottom line? Um, So you have to think about it.
0: And and the fact that someone's actually set up a commission structure that completely misses that kind of omni-channel um, behavior of a customer and sets up commission for sales may not even think they have anything to do with customer experience, but wow, huge impact.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know, and that's not to say that somebody came up with this a couple of years ago. This is a, <laughs> this is a foundation of retail <laughs> that's been around forever. you know. So, so it's hard to, yeah. um, that is something that's hard to adapt. And especially when you're talking at scale for big companies that, um, that have always done things a certain way. And, you know, so, and I think that's the biggest thing, the larger the company, the more, um, And the more traditional, you might say, (laughs) they tend to be because it's just, it takes a while to, to change, you know, when you're at a larger scale, um, you know, the, the smaller startups and some of these small indie brands that are evolving have it so much easier because Mm -hmm. they can actually look at the modern landscape. And from the day they opened their door, you know, I just recently got really excited about a brand called their reset. Uh, They had a pop-up shop here in San Francisco in my neighborhood and, you know, from the time that they, they started their brand, it was all about giving the customer what she needs. And so, you know, they, they open pop-up shops. I'm absolutely sure that they're figuring out how to make sure to uh, incent their employees for wherever the customer wants to shop. Yeah, but, right. you know, you look at a company that's been around a while, that's just not not as easy as it sounds. So, um, so there's that. And then there's also internally, there's some, you know, there's some territory stuff. It's people get used to working in a certain way um, and, you know, for instance, if, they, if one part of the organization has been working in Waterfall for a really long time and that was fine because they're only making updates to back-end systems every so often, all of a sudden it's saying, well, we need to update your back-end systems to enable our employee experiences, to enable our customer experiences, so we need you to be more agile, it's it you know again. This is this sounds like oh yeah, that sounds great. But when you think about the logistics of changing people's mindset, uh, let alone their training and, and understanding of how how to work, um, it, it becomes complicated. So so the way that uh, that I went about this and and really you know coached my team while I was at Nordstrom was we're in we're kind of in a centralized position where we are 100 percent about the customer. And so what we can do is actually we have everybody coming to us to talk about you know, uh, the needs of their particular software or whatever they're building, we can facilitate conversations, but we also should be thought leaders, um, in terms of, you know, kind of bringing the conversation around when you're talking to somebody who's like, Oh my gosh, my job, I need to, you know, my team doesn't know how to work, um, you know, in this particular way, how am I going to educate them kind of being the sounding board and like, you know, let us help you with that. Uh, you know, back Mm. to the piece around employee experience, um, how can we, you know, we've got design tools, we've got stuff that we use to, to wireframe and map out user flows. Let's talk about workflows um, and and let's make sure that, you know, we're doing this as a workshop with, with key members of your team so they feel like they're part of it. It's not just we're creating a new process and handing it down. Um, in order to people get people really engaged and excited about it, you have to bring them along for the journey. So. So communication goes a long way and, and being patient and understanding and um, and having a lot of empathy, which is you know a key factor in um, that all of us, you know, as, as experienced designers, whether you call yourself a UX designer, a product designer, whatever it is, empathy is a key factor and, and that goes a long way internally
0: too. I think that's a really important point. You know, this no we, we always talk about having empathy for 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 customers and, and expecting employees to have empathy for customers, but the notion of having empathy for our fellow employees. And and intentionally designing, and coaching, and, and 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 almost scaffolding with our with the the partners internally to help them through some of the, sort of the organizational changes. That you know that's a kind of a pro- profound thought because I I, I I hear more often than not from customer experience leaders, you know, literally pulling out your hair and and you know why don't people get this stuff? Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. so basic, you yeah. know. Um, but maybe it requires a little patience and empathy there.
1: It does. Absolutely. And it's easy to think that way, especially when you, you know, you're, you're in a uh, meeting room with, you know, other leaders and they're all like, oh yeah, we can get this done. Well, you know, you, you just, um, I think you tend to minimize the trickle down effect that may or may not happen once those leaders leave the room. So yeah. again, you know like I mentioned earlier, it's really being thoughtful around what employees need to do their job and making sure they have it and part of that is the proper tools and training, but part of it is empathy. It's, you know, I get it that you've been doing something a certain way for the past, you know, it could be 20 years for some people who have stayed with the company for a long time, but even if it's 3 years, 5 years, 1 year, you know, 6 months, change is something that isn't easy for everybody. And, um, and the only way you can't beat it out of them, you have to, you have to encourage and be patient and, um, and just bring them along for the ride. And that's, that's the only way to get it done.
0: Yeah. You know, it strikes me. So, you know, thinking about just changing out a CRM platform, asking someone to tweet, you know, more differently, asking them to do something, yeah. you know, changes can happen at all sorts of levels. And those changes are can be dramatically difficult, even for those of us who think we change pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, yeah. uh, it, it, uh, you know, uh, people become accustomed to what they do and are efficient and are judged by those that kinds of things. So, yeah. um, fantastic piece of advice. Well, Heidi, we are running out of time. It was a pleasure. I feel like we I could have stayed another hour chatting with you about your experiences. Uh, you're going to be at CXPA uh, Day in San Francisco talking tonight. Super looking forward to having you there. Um, thank you so much for joining us uh, uh, today. It
1: was and a pleasure. And happy CX Day to you. Happy CX Day to you guys. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: All right. Take care, Heidi.
1: All right. You too. Bye. Bye.